0: And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Let me pray for us and we're going to begin this morning. Father, we thank you for a great time of worship, Father, of singing praises to your name, Lord, of of lifting our voices and our hearts. Uh, We're so thankful, Father, for the chance you've given us now to open the truth of your word. We're so thankful, Lord, for the chance you've given us now to study and to uh, be challenged by exactly who you are. Uh, Father, I pray now as we turn our attention to the scriptures that you would speak very clearly to us. Father, that you would um, just allow us to sense your presence and, and your power in a very real way. Father, we love you. We thank you for this chance. We pray that we would be uh, changed and challenged and transformed more and more into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So take your Bibles and open to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. We are continuing our series this morning. that We've entitled The Sword Method or The Sword of the Lord. And this is going to be the last week we're going to do this. I think we've gone six or seven weeks now walking through this model, walking through this this series to help you understand, to be trained in this. And, And again, the heart of this was to prepare you Uh, to better equip you, really to give you this tool, this model you can use. You can memorize it, you can write the questions in your Bible. Uh, Hopefully some of you have been working through this now over the last couple weeks, either alone or with some friends or with family or in a Bible study or in your small group. Just a simple way for you to study the Scripture, to understand the Scripture, and then to, in a setting of people or alone or however the Lord leads you to do it, kind of work through the text and understand it. And so this is the last week we're going to be doing this. Next week, I'm going to start a new series, and I'll give you just a little clue if you want to look ahead to where we're going. In the book of John, there are seven specific statements where Jesus says, I am, I am, and then you fill in the blank. We're going to walk through those seven. I'm very excited about that because the book of John is a, is a beautiful gospel that helps us see exactly who Christ was of the glory and the magnificence of Jesus, but it points to Jesus as the Messiah. And so the I am passages in the book of John are, are kind of famous and important. And so if you wanted to kind of on your own, think through those or pray through those, you could do that. We'll begin that next week. But this week we're going to finish up. So this is the, I need to take this moment in. This is the last moment I'm going to draw this sword at the 930 service. It's been pretty cool walking around church with this over the last couple of months. You know, I feel pretty powerful people ask me about it. I think I might just start wearing it for fun. Would that be okay? Just come up here on Sunday and just take it off and have somebody come and get it from me, you know, like when I preach. No, I'm not going to do that. I'm just kidding. So this is the sword. We've been using this each week, the sword of the Lord, right, from Hebrews chapter four. And there are four main questions we ask about any text, whether it's one verse or chapter or however long we want to do it. What can I learn about God? What can I learn about man? What can I learn about sin? What can I learn about obedience? Real simple God, man, sin, obedience. Then we think about the main idea of the passage. Then we think about how we can apply it to our lives. And I'll just encourage you and remind you I said this a few weeks ago, but this is a weapon, right? Far too often we take our Bibles and we set them on the shelf, and next Sunday, about 8 o'clock or whenever we start getting ready, we grab it off the shelf throw it in the car, come to church, and open it for the first time, right? If that's what you do with your Bible, you're not using it as the weapon God has given you. This is the weapon we use in the world that we live in against the enemy uh, to further the kingdom, to defeat evil, right? We have that power in our Bibles, the sword of the Lord, and so we need to use that. We need to understand it. We need to be uh, well-trained in it. We need to open it regularly. We need to allow it to lead us in our lives, And so We've come to this place now in Luke chapter 9. I gave you the passage last week, Luke chapter 9. I think the the focus is 23 through 27. We're going to hone in on that in just a few minutes, but I want to give you just a little bit of background in the book of Luke. It'll help us understand kind of where we've been and especially where we're going to go this morning. In Luke chapter 9, Just before we come to this section we're going to study this morning, we read of the feeding of the 5,000, and you can kind of go back and read that on on your own if you want to, but I'm going to back up to verse 18, because Christ has performed this this incredible miracle. It's not the first or the last miracle he's done. He's garnered large crowds of people, right? If you were to kind of track the life of Jesus up to this point, the crowds have been growing. Now he's just fed 5,000, and that's just men. That would not have included the women. And the children, and so we can say with with probably certainty, based on the size of the families in the first century, you're talking 20, 25, 30,000 people Jesus fed here, right? So a massive amount of people have followed him. He's been doing incredible miracles. He's been feeding them. And something changes here in these verses. I want you to see it. Luke 9, verse 18, I'm backing up just a little bit. Now it happened that as they were praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah, and others, uh, one, of the, one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, this is a question you need to answer, by the way, right where you're sitting. Who do you say I am? And Peter answered, the Christ of God. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, now watch, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised, right? Jesus' mission on earth, we need need to get this before we get into the next little section here. His mission on earth wasn't simply to heal people. It wasn't simply to teach people. It wasn't simply to train his disciples. His mission on earth was to give his life and to be raised back from the dead. Do you understand that? That's the reason he came. And so we need to understand that transition from kind of doing miraculous things, healing uh, healing people doing these things in front of all these large crowds. We're going to see this transition from large gatherings. Jesus is now going to make it very clear why he came, and he's going to give all the people now their command, right? Here's what he says, verse 23. This is our focus this morning. And he said to them, right, just what we've seen. He's fed the 5,000. He's given them his true mission on earth. Then he said to them, if anyone, you ought to underline that word anyone. We're going to come back to it in just a second. If anyone would come after me, until they see the kingdom of God. Now, in this series, I've been working through these questions, right? God, man, sin, obedience. We've been going through these questions, answering these questions. Some of these questions uh, can be answered through this text. Sometimes we have to skip because there's not as much information about certain questions as there are others. But I want to start with the first one. What can I learn about God? And we have that on the screen for you as well. What can I learn about God? Now, I'm going to give you kind of a main idea here. He's going to give his life Right, That's the main thing we see right here. Go and pop that next one up. He's going to give his life, and we see that in verse 23 and 24. It's real clear in verse 22, but we, we get this idea here. Christ has been real clear with his followers. Listen, he's come to this earth so that he can be arrested, crucified, and then raised back from the dead. Right up until this point, Jesus was healing the sick. He was feeding the hungry. He was teaching to huge crowds. But when Jesus makes his declaration of the cross, everything from this moment changes. Right, people begin to understand, listen, it's not just about coming to see. Now watch, I might be talking to you right here. It's not just about coming to see what Jesus can give to me and what he can do for me. It's about being willing to follow him regardless of the costs. Right, far too many people follow Jesus for what they can get out of it. One writer said it like this, for Jesus, his declaration of the cross was a turning point in his ministry. Once he set his face toward the cross, nothing, not the pleas of a beloved disciple or the dread of the process could stop him, right? From, from this point on, from the, for the remainder of his life, he spent in pursuit of the cross. Now, I want to kind of stop here just for a minute. I want to think through this just a little bit. Because we come to this point in scripture understanding that Jesus has just made this clear declaration of his death, burial, resurrection. He's challenged his followers now to take up their cross and follow him. We're going to get to that in just a few minutes. But I want to kind of answer this question just for a minute of why. Like, why did Jesus have to die on the cross, right? And I understand what we're going to say because he loved us and all that's true. We're going to come through that here in just a minute. But here's what I mean by that. Why didn't God just wave his hand and forgive our sins? Why didn't the the Lord just kind of swipe his hand across the congregation and say all sins are forgiven, right? Well, there's some verses I want to read to kind of help you understand and think through this. We're going to think about a little theology just for a few minutes. I want you to understand what's happening here. Just a couple of verses that help us answer that question. One of the verses, you don't have to look these up. You can look them up later. Luke chapter 24, verses 25 and 26. This is Jesus speaking. He said to them, how foolish you are, And how slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Isaiah 53, 10 says, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life and through the Lord makes his life a guilt offering, right? So we see these two passages of scripture that say, listen, Jesus had to suffer and he had to suffer because it was the Lord's will for him to suffer. And so we begin to kind of piece this thing together. Listen, Jesus comes to this earth. He willingly gives his life on the cross. That's what Scripture teaches, by the way. Nobody forced him to do that. He had the power the ability to call a legion of angels if he'd wanted to. He willingly gave his life. He allowed himself to be arrested and crucified. We see that not only was that God's will, God allowed it to happen, right? That was the plan from the beginning. You say, why would the Lord allow Jesus to be taken up like this, to be punished, to be crucified? Why was it the Lord's will that it happened when Jesus, on top of all these things, was a perfect man, right? He committed no sins. When well, you get into this understanding, right, and this is kind of, what we, we get into kind of the, the deep theological understanding here that I want to make sure you get. It's the idea of kind of the, the comparison between the holiness of God and the wickedness of our sin, right? And we live in a society, and, and by the way, sometimes I do the same thing, so I'm not preaching at you. I'm, I'm kind of with you here. We live in a society where we minimize our sin oftentimes, Just easier to sweep it under the rug, it's easier to ignore it, it's easier to bypass it, it's easier to forget about it, right? And that's what the the flesh tells us to do because we don't want to deal with it. Because when we deal with our sin, it causes us sometimes to rethink things. It leads us hopefully to this place of repentance, and those things are difficult for us. But we understand that because God is a holy God, when he looks upon sin, he can't stand it, right? The Bible says he can't look upon our sin. And so we come to this place where we see we are sinful and God is holy. Now we read verses like John 3:16, we all know it, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But we also read verses like Romans 3:25, God presented him, this is Jesus, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice, right? Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. Here's what we see scripturally, right? Throughout history, until the death of Jesus, God had been forgiving sins through sacrifices, but no penalty had been paid by the people that had committed those sins. you understand that? Right? The sacrifices of animals kind of covered those sins for a time, but the people that had committed those sins weren't paying the price. And so a holy, just God can't leave sin unpunished. So somebody's got to be punished. Enter Jesus. It's a beautiful picture of mercy. It's a beautiful picture of grace. It was the Lord's will that he be crushed. It was the Lord's will that he suffer. Why? Because he loved you so much he gave his life for you. He stood in the place where you should be standing. And and, and part of the, the understanding of salvation is to come to that realization. To realize that you're the one that deserves that punishment. You're the one that deserves that wrath. You're the one that has made those mistakes. It's your place to stand there and be punished and receive that punishment. And it, we begin to understand, we think about salvation, the beauty of what Christ did and how much he suffered and what he gave all for your sins. It's this beautiful picture of the, the mixture of holiness and sin and grace and love and mercy wrapped into one, wrapped into Christ when he gave his life on the cross for sinners. right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad he did that? Aren't you glad he said, listen, Adam, I know all the junk you've done. I know how your mind works. I know how, how many times you've dropped the ball. I know how many times you've failed in the past and all the baggage and the sin that you carry, but I'm willing to stand in your It's a beautiful picture of grace, right? So we see that kind of wrapped into this idea about Jesus, right? What can we learn about Jesus? He's going to give his life. He's going to love us. He's going to sacrifice himself for us, right? Imagine the discussion you could have just in that one little idea. Imagine the discussion you could have with a lost person about exactly who Christ is. That's what we see about God. What do we learn about man, right? I'm going to save this second part until we get to the idea about obedience because there's a lot in obedience here, The third question, what do I learn about sin? There's a couple of quick things I want you to show, and then I want to spend the rest of my time thinking about taking up our cross. So question number three, what do I learn about sin? It's sin to gain the world and forfeit Jesus, right? That's what it says in verse 25. And it's a sin to be ashamed of Jesus, now, there's a, there's a lot we could say about these two things. Pull up the second one about being ashamed of Jesus. There's a lot we could say about these. There's a lot of discussion we could have. But just imagine how you could talk about this idea about being ashamed of Jesus. Right, this, this, this kind of plays itself out in a lot of different ways, like whether we share our faith with other people, whether we stand up for what we believe when we're around people that don't, how we allow people to talk about Christ in our presence, There's a lot of discussion and a lot of application we could think about with that, about gaining the world and losing our soul or being ashamed of Jesus. But I want to spend kind of the remainder of the time on the last question here. What am I supposed to obey? Because I think this is really the heart of what Christ is getting at. I think this is the real challenge for us in the idea of obedience and how we ought to live and what we ought to think. So let me just pop these up for you very quickly, and we're going to kind of think through them together. Here's what we can Understand about obedience in these verses. We're going to have them on the screen. If you want to follow Jesus, deny yourself. That's verse 23. You ought to take up your cross. That's also verse 23. If you lose your life, you will save it. Verse 24. It doesn't help us to gain the world and lose yourself or your soul. That's verse 25. If we are ashamed of God, Jesus will be ashamed of us. That's verse 26. And so what we kind of have built in here, kind of in this text and kind of the main idea of what Christ is talking about here is really the cost of following Jesus, isn't it? Right? You have to put yourself in the place of these first century followers, right? Up until this point, Jesus had done miraculous things, he had fed all these people, he had healed all these people, many miracles that the Bible doesn't even write about, and many more were to come. There's a large group of people that followed Jesus hoping they could receive something good, right? It's a kind of what can I get from you Jesus mentality, like it's a person that follows Jesus as long as things are going well, but as soon as something bad happens, they're going to blame the Lord for their problems, these, These people in the first century were following Jesus, hoping to gain something from him. Jesus is going to turn the tables on them and help them begin to see, listen, there is a cost in following me. Now, I want you to notice a couple important phrases in this text. Pull verse 23 up for me, if you would, please. I want you to see exactly who he's talking to here in verse 23. And he said to them, Sorry. And he said to all. I was like, that doesn't say what mine says. And he said to all. Now look, that's not just to a couple of people. That's not just to one or two people. That's not just to his disciples. He said to all, if, what's the next word there? Anyone. Is that you? Yes, That's right, it is, isn't it? If anyone, that's you, would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. Let me just go ahead and tell you right now, let me just lay this right here in your lap. You think this is the sermon for your spouse or for your friend or for the guy sitting across over there that you don't really know. That is true. It's for those people, but it's also for you, right? It's for everyone. And so let me just kind of, let me just kind of say this to you and I, and I hope I don't offend you. I'm, I'm Really saying this out of love, and if you don't understand this, I'd love to talk to you after uh, the service, but but if you think following Jesus is simply about saying a prayer when you were a kid, and, and then living any way you want to live, you're mistaken. If you think, listen, when I was 11, I said a prayer to, to the pastor at that time, and I even was baptized, but from the age of 12 until now, and I'm high old, I've never really thought about Jesus He doesn't really matter to me. I'm not really trying to live my life for Christ. I think you are mistaken because the Bible teaches that truly living for Jesus requires great sacrifice. And that's what he tells us in verse 23 If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Right? Deny himself, take up his cross. And follow me. So we move from this place in the study of Christ. If you were kind of living through his life and trying to understand more about who he is, you move from this place of very low commitment. People just wanted to watch Jesus and gain miraculous things from him. This idea of low commitment to total commitment. Right? One writer said it like this to renounce the self as the dominant element in life is to replace the self with God and Christ as the object of affections. It is to place the divine will before the self-will. It's the idea that I'm willing to set aside what I want to do, what I'm thinking, what I'm hoping, what I like, what brings me pleasure. I'm willing to set those things aside in favor of following Jesus. Now, All of us, I guess, maybe not all of us, have probably dieted at some point, right? Probably many of us. Usually we kind of talk about this as the first of the year because we're ready to get in shape a little bit. And maybe after COVID-19, I've joked a little bit about putting on weight during COVID-19. Maybe some of us have decided now's the time to start eating better, be be a little more healthy. And so this is kind of a a silly little example, right? But we we understand this idea of denying self when it comes to eating good food, right? If you're going to diet, you have to deny yourself eating certain foods, don't you? Like you just can't eat a, you can't drink a milkshake every day on a diet, I don't think. I mean, if there is that diet, I'd love to know about it, but I've never seen one of those, right? You don't get to eat three or four Big Macs every week. You don't, you don't get to eat a bunch of cookies or French fries, all the things that we really like, we have to set those things aside. Why? Because there's a goal we want to reach. You keep eating those things, if you want to, you're probably not going to lose a lot of weight, right? When we talk about denying self, it's the idea, I'm going to set aside all the things I want to do in favor of doing the things the Lord wants me to do, right? So just a simple little example, and you're all here this morning, and we're not streaming live, so I'm really just talking to the, preaching to the choir here, but, but one of the simple examples is, listen, I don't really want to get up and go to church on a Sunday morning. I'm just going to sleep late, right? And, and sometimes there's times we need off. I'm not saying it's always wrong, but by and large, regular attendance in church is what God calls. And so sometimes we have to set aside what we want to do in favor of following the Lord. Maybe there's a person at work That you know full well is not a believer. You've spoken to him or her and you understand they don't think much about Christ. They've never really thought about salvation. And you know the Lord's calling you to to witness, to share your faith with that person. But it makes you nervous and scared, right? It's the idea of setting aside my fear. Of setting aside my nerves. Of setting aside my anxiety and saying, listen, I understand that I don't really want to do this in the flesh. But this is who the Lord's called me to be this is what the Lord's called me to do. That that can play itself out in, in a thousand different ways. We begin to understand, listen, I've got to be willing to deny myself and follow Jesus. Maybe it's the way you treat other people. Maybe you want to say a certain thing, right? You want to have a certain difficult conversation with somebody and get angry at them, right? But you say, I'm just not going to live like that. Maybe it's something you want to look at, right, on on a a computer screen or in a book somewhere, and you say, you know what, I want to look at that, but I'm just not going to. I'm going to deny myself. Maybe you desire to to, to kind of change the numbers a little bit on your financial statements, but you just say, I'm not going to do that, right? I'm going to set that aside. I'm going to deny myself, and I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. And then he kind of gives us this interesting phrase, a phrase that for, for the people living in our century is not quite as significant as it would have been to the people in the first century. But I want you to look at verse 23 again. Pull up 923 again for me, if you would, please. And he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily, there's the phrase, and follow me. Now, we don't understand in our generation what it means to take up our cross. Right? We, we kind of miss that picture. But I want you to understand, for the person living in the first century, the cross meant death. Not only did it mean death, it meant painful, humiliating, the the most uh, difficult, unimaginable death you could probably ever think of. Right? One writer said it like this, in Jesus' day, the cross represented nothing but torturous death. Because the Romans forced convicted criminals to carry their own crosses to the place of crucifixion. Bearing a cross meant carrying their own execution device while facing ridicule all along the way. And so if we're gonna kind of apply this to our lives and take this text and kind of filter it through our thoughts and, and understand what it looks like, taking up our cross means a willingness to die in order to follow Jesus. It's a call to complete and total surrender to his will, right? It's the idea of denying ourselves to the point of death. It's the idea of setting aside anything and everything that keeps us from following Jesus. It's a desire to totally die to what we want in favor of Christ. You say, that's a little harsh. He can't truly mean that, right? You, You can't really say he's talking about giving up our life, That's harsh, Adam. I mean, I I do want to be a Christian. I do want to follow Jesus. That seems like an awful lot. I think you're reading too much into the passage. Fine. Let's look at what verse 24 says. You would think if he were not talking about death, he would soften it a little bit. Instead, look what he says in verse 24. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever, what? Loses his life for my sake will save him. Kind of hard to argue it right there, isn't it? It's kind of hard to argue and say, well, you know what? He's probably not really talking about giving up everything. You're being a little harsh here, Adam. He's not really talking about being willing to give up even our lives. No, that's exactly what he's talking about. Now, we live in a place, in a world, in a society where we all pray that we'll never have to give our lives for our faith. There are people in other parts of the world that do and that have. And by the way, last century, more people were killed for their faith around the world than all the other centuries combined. That's true. So there are people that have and are giving their lives for Christ. But right now in our society, we're not having to do that. So the question is for us, we should be willing to give our lives, but what should we be doing in the meantime, right? It's not enough to just say, one day I'll be willing to give my life if necessary. Until then, I'm going to live any way I want to live. That's not the way it works. It's the idea of the willingness to give our lives and then being willing, in the meantime, to give up everything else for the sake of Christ. David Platt, in his book, Radical, asks a very profound question along these lines. He says, will we risk everything, our comfort, our possessions, our safety, our security, our very lives, to make the gospel known among unreached people. Such rising up and such risk-taking are the unavoidable, urgent results of a life that is radically abandoned to Jesus. You say, that's a pretty radical thought. You're right, it is. That's why these verses are so hard for us to kind of understand. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around denying ourselves when we have everything we could ever want. It's hard for us to wrap our our minds around giving up and taking up our cross when we don't want to ever really feel any pain or suffering. It's very difficult for us to understand giving our lives for Christ when we live, by and large, in a society that never forces us to even think like that. And so let's think just clearly, just for a few minutes as we kind of wind this thing down, let's think about a few of the ways that we can give ourselves up, that we can deny ourselves in the present right now for Jesus. Three things, I have them on the screen for you. The first one is following Christ with your attitude. Man, it starts there, doesn't it? It's a willingness to follow. It's a willingness to suffer. It's a willingness to give up the things you want. It's a willingness to sacrifice for others, right? It begins with your attitude, I'm just willing to do this. I just want to do this. I just want to follow Jesus. John Piper speaking, the way he wrote this, he's speaking to his old self. That's what he said here. Here's what he says. You are not in charge any longer. I love Jesus more than human approval, honor, comfort, and life. So I'm ready to endure opposition, shame, suffering, and death. There's more gain in following Jesus even with suffering than there is in walking away from him even with 10,000 earthly benefits. If If you're looking to deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus, it really begins with that attitude, right? A willingness. Here's the second thing, thoughts, right? We can take captive every thought. That's what 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says. Right a lot of us have a, have a willingness to follow Jesus. Maybe there's this desire, but our thought life keeps us far from actually doing anything about it. It's a disconnect for us. There's a heart's desire, but there's no actual control of our thoughts. Like what are we thinking? How are we thinking them? Are, are we really taking captive our thoughts and thinking about things for Jesus? Or are we thinking about the things of the world, earthly pleasures, all the things we want to do? And that's not easy. It's not easy to to think the thoughts of Christ, but you've got to kind of get to this place where you train yourself. Listen, I'm going to think about Jesus. I'm going to spend more time in his word. I'm going to spend more time in prayer. I'm going to memorize a few Bible verses that relate to key areas of my life. And when I struggle with those specific issues, I'm going to recite those verses back to myself and be challenged. I can tell you, there's times in my life Uh, numerous times in my life when I've been struggling with something or maybe not in a good place in my mind and I have to just kind of stop, set everything else aside, pull out God's word and just read for a little while and just let his truth kind of wash back over me and reorient me and, and remind me again of his goodness in his plan, and his glory, right? Because if we just kind of stay stuck in our own brains without understanding who he is, if we don't get some control over our thoughts, it'll lead us to a bad place. And so our actions, excuse me, our attitude, our thoughts, and then finally our actions, right? We just make the decisions. I'm just gonna do these things, Lord, for you. They're not easy, they may not be comfortable, it may not be what my flesh desires, but I'm willing to follow you, I'm willing to forsake all these other things, I'm willing to trust you and live a life that brings honor and glory to you, right? I've just decided I'm not gonna say these things to my coworker, I'm just not. Or I'm just not gonna treat my spouse this way, I'm just not gonna do that. Or I'm not gonna lie about this, or I'm not gonna do whatever, you fill in the blank, right? It's the idea that I've just made the decision, I've got the right attitude, I'm working to control my thoughts. My actions are going to follow. I've just decided I'm going to follow the Lord, right? Matthew 6.33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Now, look, we're not talking about doing this in our own power, by the way. We're not talking about self-help books. We're talking about prayerfully trusting the Lord, studying his word, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to work through us, to accomplish great things for us? It's a very simple question. Christ has given us the command. If you're going to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to study your word We thank you for the very clear picture you've shown us in Luke chapter 9, Father. We thank you for the understanding of discipleship and and sacrifice and, and taking up our cross to follow you. Lord, I pray that these verses would just resonate in our hearts and our minds over the course of this day and over the next week. Help us, Father, just to kind of gain control of our attitude and emotions, of our thoughts. Allow our actions to glorify you, Father. Lead us to a place where we're willing to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow you, Father. Be with us now in this time of invitation as we pray where we are. Lead us, direct us, and we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.